And not only that, but do we want a society built on retribution and domination Mm -hmm. and violence? No, we can't get to the beloved community through violence. So how do we then have a restorative justice community? How do we, how do we embark on the, the project of transformative, transformational justice that transforms our relationships and transforms our systems and structures? This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Thank you so much for joining us for a new episode of Pantsuit Politics. We are thrilled today to share a conversation that Sarah had with Lisa Sharon Harper, who you've heard on the show before. Lisa's new book, Fortune, How Race Broke My Family and the World and How to Repair It All, comes out today. The book is about Lisa's journey to trace her ancestry, recover the beauty of her heritage, expose the brokenness that race has wrought in America, and cast a vision for a collective repair. We hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. If it speaks to you, you obviously should start with buying Lisa's book. She's also doing a campaign throughout the month of February called Black Fortune Month, where you can read the book in community, do virtual events, and get involved in advocacy for HR 40. If you follow the link in our show notes for the Fortune website, you'll get details on all of that. Before we jump in, we want to remind everyone that on February 22nd, Sarah and I will spend some time with our Pantsuit Politics members. Members are people who support making this show. They are the reason we're able to make this show, either on Patreon or Apple Podcast subscriptions. The connection information for Apple Podcast subscribers will come through email. So please make sure that Elise has your email by following a link in the notes today. If you haven't started supporting the show, but it's something that's been on your mind, this is a great introduction to that community. So again, February 22nd, we would love for you to join us there. And without further ado, here is Sarah's conversation with Lisa Sharon Harper. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code Podcast 
We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. All right. Lisa Sharon Harper, welcome back to Fancy Politics. Thank you so much, Sarah We need to get you a title. Yes. We, you come on. <laughs> we love you. You're re- one of our... Listen few reoccurring guests. We don't have a lot of reoccurring guests here at Pantsuit wow. Politics, wow. but you were wow. one of them. Because Well, we I, feel, so I feel the love and I definitely feel privileged. Thank you. And your new book is out and we're so excited to talk about it. Now, Yay. I'm so excited because this book is about your own personal ancestry. Yes. Ancestry is a passion of mine. Mm. Tell us about how you began your journey to uncover, unlock, tell the story of your family's history. Well, I started literally 30 years ago on a phone call with my mom after watching Dances with Wolves. <laughs> I love that. I love that part of the story. When Dan- I was like, Dances with Wolves? I didn't know I see that coming. A lot of people, coming. a lot of people after watching that started going, do I have Native American his- ancestry? That kind of thing. Well, I knew that my grandmother told me, yes, we are. We have Native mm-hmm. American ancestry. So I started asking my mom, well, do we know anything more about them? My grandmother had, she had Alzheimer's at that point. So mm-hmm. I couldn't ask her. And so we just, then our very first family tree that I ever drew was on the back of a flyer for the show that I was working on off Broadway as an assistant stage manager <laughs> in the lighting booth. Can you imagine me like a 21 year old? And that's exactly what was where, where I was. I was in the lighting booth sketching this because my mom told me the dates of when my grandfather lived and my great grandfather. So I was, all I had was the dates and like the status, great grandfather, grandfather, that kind of thing. And then that grew into names. And then once I got my Ancestry.com membership, which I know this is not supposed to be like, they're not paying us to say this, but it's just what happened. I yeah, got my yeah. membership. And in the first night, I was able to trace all the way back to Jamestown. I was like, wow. what? What? Like, oh my gosh. And But of course, that was like through marriage. It wasn't a direct like mm-hmm. blood link, but it was through a marriage. And I was like, Wow. So I have been on this journey for 30 years. And my mom also, my mom back in the 90s went to the archives and she was the first person to discover one of the two Henry Lawrences that I talk about in chapter two of the book. Um, Because there's two possibilities for who Henry Lawrence could be, but actually they could be blended. It could be the same person and we just Mm -hmm. don't understand how they connect. There's also been a a major advance in, in genealogy with DNA. So when Ancestry.com made DNA uh, research possible. I did it. And I'll tell you what, I wept because for people of African descent who have not been able to trace back beyond slavery, beyond 
the slave schedules, which did not use names. It was an amazing thing to find where my people were from. So Mm -hmm. ancestry.com was my first glimpse into that. And it told me my people were from, you know, XYZ nations, Benin, I think it said it originally. And then as that science has improved, they've actually gotten more and more accurate. So now it's pretty clear, Nigeria, Guinea, Mali, um, something like that. And um, Senegal is in there as well in 23andMe. It comes up in 23andMe. But then I did AfricanAncestry.com. So y'all, I mean, I've been all up in this thing. Love it. Um, And AfricanAncestry.com traces your mother's 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 mother back a thousand years and says, wow, yes. And not only what nation or like geographical location, but what ethnic group she was a part of. That's incredible. Oh, I wept because again, that's a story. My mother's 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 tracing back through Leah Ballard all the way to Africa was from Nigeria. And her people were both from Northern Nigeria and Southern Nigeria, the Hausa people and the Yoruba people. And so the Hausa people are all styling. They're stylish. They're all known for their textiles. And they're also a horse culture, which really makes sense of why when I first time ever got on a horse, I was like, this feels oddly familiar. (laughs) (laughs) The guys were like, you're doing really good. And I had never ridden a horse before. And I was like, I feel like I could be a little cowgirl up in here. Well, my people were horse people back in Africa. Um, and, uh, the, the Europa people have the griots, they have the storytellers. And I really do believe that my story, my, my family, we come from griots, we come from the story keepers. Um, and that has been really my vocation. My calling has been in part, um, to do justice in the world through storytelling. And in fact, that's at the heart of freedom road, right? Like Mm -hmm. what we do is we, we reconcile narrative. We reconcile the stories. Well, and I think you do such a good and heartbreaking job Mm. of articulating why not knowing those specific stories, even if you can trace the genealogy, Mm. like the way that, you know, black and brown people's stories are erased through oppression, through slavery, like that you just, you do not know. You do not. I thought, I thought when I was reading your book about a friend, a really good friend of mine, whose father was born in a Holocaust refugee camp Mm -hmm. and the female members of her family carry the breast cancer gene. And she said, I just, but I don't know what that means because Mm -hmm. so many of them died in the Holocaust. I don't know what that means for my grandmothers and my great grandmothers and my great aunts. How did they manage it? What what happened? Like, how did that show up? Yes. Like she does not have that history. And I thought, man, we just, and I think it's, it's, so true and also sort of reflector of, of a bigger reality, which is like modernity sort of erases mm-hmm. the power of this in a lot of yeah. ways for people in a really, really heartbreaking way. So talk about that. Talk about what it means when you can't, even if you can trace the genealogy and the gift that is, like this, the stories, the stories of these lives are missing. Wow. Well, I think that that's part of what led me to um, to do such deep research on the context is because especially in the early narratives, all we really had were court records, tax mm-hmm. records, things like that. And that's, that's on the fortune line. Fortune McGee game was the first American on this soil born person in my family that we know of. 
She was born here in 1687. And of course, that's not America then. It's it's, it's a colony, Mar- the colony of Maryland. But it's what came, became known as, Amer- as America. But Fortune, um, you know, she was born into it the time when race shaped the world, when race became a thing on the, in the colonies. And it became a modus operandi of establishing the supremacy of whiteness on this land, and in particular, white men on this land. And so, and creating whiteness. I think when you say like when we create yeah. race, it just becomes in your brain like, well, we created whiteness, white, and we created blackness, but we also created whiteness. That's exactly at the exact same time. One mm-hmm. does not exist without the other mm-hmm. in our political construct. Yep. And so, you know, when I when I was researching that, the thing that just really struck me is that the stories that the in between the lines of the of the tax records and the court documents the court records was still very much missing so i had to fill in that in between space with what was happening in the context what was happening around her and i get that that's why i say actually pretty early in the book that for for the earlier um chapters chapters 1 2 and 3 where we're looking at the roots it's going to be the case you know, in, in several places where the context is the text. That is also the case because context actually does cause people to make decisions that shape generations, mm-hmm. fortunes, and futures. When we look at the context of fortunes world, where these race laws are being shaped for the very first time, we have to understand the reality that it's not only impacting her, those first race laws, because she was a mixed race person. So she fell squarely in the line of sight of those first race laws, which were created in order to determine the status, slave or free, mm-hmm. of mixed race children. But it also impacted her daughter, Sarah, my uh, six times great grandmother. It impacted her son, Humphrey, my five times great grandfather. It impacted because they then became indentured, not mm-hmm. enslaved, because they could trace their ancestor, their mother, their mother's line back to a white woman. So that law that they passed in Maryland in 1664, in some ways saved us from being enslaved on that line of my family. But likewise, with Leah, Leah's life is again, it's one of those ones that you don't have a lot filled in, but the things we know gave us enough to be able to say, this is how it could have been. This is how it might've been. And then we know the context. When I learned, I learned that five of Leah's children in the research, five of Leah's children, we were told she had 17 children, but only 12 appear on censuses at any point after the civil war. But she was definitely old enough to have had at least five children, which is what the number would have been according to our family story. And before the civil war, We'd have no record of those five. We have no way of knowing who they are. But now I know the context. The context that she lived in, she was enslaved in South Carolina. In South Carolina, her children could have been sold away, could have been gifted Mm -hmm. um, as a gift to to a family member, or they could have died because only one in three children actually made it out alive past year one. One third of children enslaved in South Carolina survived past one year old. Mm. That blew my mind. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine the loss? Can you imagine the impact of that on Leah? So some of her story got filled in by the context. And that was, that was a gift 
it's a gift to know that context. And it's something that all of us need to begin to ask the question of our ancestors, not just looking for their names on census, but what was happening then Mm -hmm. that might have pushed them to make decisions that they made. Well, and I think the context is not just important individually. It's essential individually, but societally. I mean, I think your family story, particularly that line Mm -hmm. of your mixed race ancestors, Mm -hmm. illustrate in a way, you know, no sort of bare intellectual statement can that race was created. How do we know that whiteness and blackness were created? Because from the very beginning, there were people who did not exist inside that binary, did not exist inside that easy binary. And so they were, they were encountering like sort of the people in power were dealing with that immediately, immediately Mm -hmm. they, they saw and understood Mm -hmm. that these were creations because they had to deal with the people who do not, who did not fit inside those definitions immediately. Right. You know, and I think mm-hmm. like that, that is so instructive. And I love what, like individually, I think you're so right. I love where you talk about, you know, you go through all the lines of your family and then you say, okay, what is, this is what this means. This context means for me individually. Mm-hmm. This is how it informed my family all the way down the line. And then you move into this other section of the book where you say, okay, so what does this mean for all of us? That's right. The part that really struck me, because I think the the work you do, the research, the ancestry is so important and so beautiful. And when you said white people, people of European descent need to do this work, too, because if you are just leaning on an easy American narrative, an identity based on a story, a harmful, oppressive story about America and not doing the research into your own family's history, then you are missing important context. You're missing context. Yes. Yes. Because that's the thing is that when people of European descent came to America, they had to actually renounce their families' stories, their 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 homelands. Um, they could no longer say that they were Finnish or Lithuanian or Dutch, or they had to actually say, "I'm white," mm-hmm. in order to gain the privilege of whiteness, which is the privilege of rulership, which is what whiteness was set up to establish. Who could rule here? And so, in order to rule. They had to say, they had to renounce their actual story. Well, what that did is it left people of European descent in America and in all colonized spaces. It left them in this netherworld, this like you literally float unanchored to anything Mm -hmm. except by a thread anchored or, or attached to this thing, this construct called whiteness. You don't have, I have had so many of my white friends say, you know, I'm just a European mutt. I don't really have, I don't know what I am. I'm just, you know, blah, 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 blah. Or, or to come and say, well, what good is it going to do me if I, if I find out that I'm Irish? How's that going to change anything today? Or if I find out that I'm Jewish, how's that going to change anything today? I'll tell you, first of all, it's not guaranteed it'll change anything because you have to make that choice. Mm-hmm. But if you make that choice, what it could change is what you are anchored to in your identity. Mm-hmm. If you are anchored to your label of whiteness, then you are anchored to a very, very thin thread Mm -hmm. that is attached to a ghost. Mm -hmm. You are anchored by a thin thread attached to a ghost because whiteness doesn't really exist. It's only the construct we made it. And if, as it will, if there comes a day where the majority of people in America are not white and rulership becomes no longer assumed as it has been for 500 years, then your very identity then becomes challenged. 
But what happens? What happens if you move your identity from this apparition called whiteness to what really happened to your actual people, all of them, to what brought you, your people, to this land? I guarantee you, guaranteed that your people most likely came here because of hardship Mm -hmm. in another space, whether that hardship was poverty or oppression. It was one of the two. Usually it was one of the two that brought you here. And if you can connect to that, if you can connect to the food that was uh, made on that homeland and how that might've been passed down, maybe that's why you have Thanksgiving dinner a certain way, Mm -hmm. right? Like you have, you might have, um, you know, uh, green beans with, with the, the, what do you call them? The little crinkly things on top. The green bean casserole. Yes. Yes, The onions. The green bean casserole, as opposed to how we do it in my house, we have greens, right? Like Mm -hmm. we have the collard greens. Like you have a very particular way of doing life that actually is passed down from your people. You have to learn that in order to be grounded in this world, not tied by a string to an apparition called whiteness. And I think once white people are grounded, grounded in their humanity and mm-hmm. fleshliness, then you can join the rest of the community of humanity and join hands. We're having a party. Like yeah, our music yeah. is awesome. Come join <laughs> us. Your music is awesome too. If you would reclaim it. Yeah. Your food yeah. is amazing too. If you would reclaim it, join us. Well, I Wonder think that Bread, is Wonder Bread is not from God. No. <laughs> well, and I think it's so true. You know, in my twenties, I did a, a lot of very deep ancestry research. Mm. And I started it to feel more connected to my European ancestry to see like, where did my people come from? And the truth is I had every, like every reason to like fully dive into that because my people came from one place. In fact, our people have a lot of crossover because we're from Western Kentucky and it's Scott Ulster ancestry. All my people are Scott Ulster. Yes. All of them. So my 23 of me results are Saboring. It's not even French. No German, no Italian, Scottish, Irish, British, period. Wow. That's it. That's where my, oh, like. Oh, that's not boring at all. No, right. That's you, true. Your people are among the earliest people on this land Abs- to settle. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody came through North Carolina or Virginia. You know, my, I think my eighth great-grandfather fought in the Revolutionary War. I have his pension records where he fought, who he fought with. Wow. And so I, t- I tell people, like, I actually came yep. out of that experience and I'll get a little teary, feeling more American and not American in this, like, we are the best. No, no, no. No, no. we are the most powerful. We yes. do everything right. But American in that this place offered refuge. It offered refuge and it continues to offer refuge to so many people, people mm-hmm. all over the world who were defined very ethnically. Not that there's mm-hmm. anything wrong with that, but like mm-hmm. America as a place that is not an ethnicity, but is it, it has, has served as a refuge to so many, mm-hmm. including generations of my own family. Like it really connected something for me. And I, and I, yeah. my heart breaks that people hold on to this, like you said, this thread of a ghost that is so empty mm-hmm. when there is this beautiful story. It is not Powerful. perfect. It is not like, it is also a place of oppression without Mm -hmm. a doubt. Mm -hmm. I have slave owners Mm -hmm. in that ancestry as well. That was Mm -hmm. heartbreaking to discover. Mm -hmm. At least it's real. It's authentic. It's human. It's grounded. It's grounded. Exactly. Exactly. It's rooted. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality 
but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. I think that the thing that one of the things we have to do is we have to become better and really, really sharp in our truth telling, Mm -hmm. you know, so we have to tell the truth about who we are 
And I love that you just did that. You just told the truth about who you are. And the truth is, yeah, you came from Ulster Scots. I know that. I know the history because that's also mm-hmm. part of my history with Fortune, right? Fortune's mother was an Ulster Scott woman. And I had to, I went actually to Belfast and talked with so cool. the genealogy, a genealogist there about the Ulster Scots and, and tried to, you know, trace back who was Maudlin McGee. Cause that's who everybody, you know, on ancestry.com traces fortune's mother and not just ancestry.com court records, court records from Maryland at the time says Maudlin McGee was her mother and Maudlin McGee was married to George McGee and they were Ulster Scots and blah, 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 blah. Well, I now know that history. Ulster Scots people were being oppressed by Mm -hmm. the English, forcing them to go to Ireland to man plantations on behalf of the English, right? So Mm -hmm. they were there for a long time during that plantation period in Ireland. So we think of, we think of the Irish British conflict going back to like 1960s (laughs) no, no, or seventies. No, maybe even not even the 20th century. No. The mm-hmm. Ulster Scots battle was in the turn of the si- the 17th century, right? So turn of the 17th century. So George McGee and Maudlin McGee came over in order to escape what they would have characterized as oppression, but yep. actually it wasn't oppression. The Irish were saying, get off our land. Thousands of people were dying. Thousands of Ulster Scots people were dying. So George and Maudlin said, we're out of here. Yep. Where'd they go? They went to Maryland. They went to Maryland. And Maryland's right across the river from Virginia, girl. So mm-hmm. you know, like right there, the colony began, I think, just a few years after, um, like 22 years after Virginia's colony um, was established. Um, and what we see from, from that story is we actually, I see the movement of Ulster Scots, right? At, through the McGee family, they moved West and South. So yep. I know when you say your people are from Western Kentucky, I go, oh my God, I know where they're actually from. They came before that. They were from, they were in Virginia and yep. Maryland. They came through Maryland as well, likely. And so, and then they went, they either went to Kentucky or they went South into Georgia and Mississippi and Alabama, all the way to Texas. Yep. When they got down there, they changed their names from McGee to McGee in order to blend in with the Irish because they didn't want to be found out. Yeah. Well, and I think too, it's like you say, it's not just like food and music, but it's those, those stories. You get context for these stories, this like distrust of authority, which runs real deep. I remember reading an ancestry book too, that talked a lot about how a lot of that particular, like the Scott Ulster's intermarried with Cherokees who also had a very strong distrust of authority. And so you That's get this true. like doubling down the sort of Appalachian, mm-hmm. no outsiders, mm-hmm. stay away, mm-hmm. not welcome. Mm-hmm. And you start to like, again, instead of just chasing ghosts, Mm-hmm. You start to see, oh, this is, this is where, and that's the first step of any sort of truth to let yeah. awareness yeah. that not to say a story is good or bad or otherwise, but to just mm-hmm. say like, oh, well, here's where it came from. Right. This is why, this is mm-hmm. why we are where we are right now. I love that you just, you just um, said that about the Ulster Scots. Cause I actually think that that's, that's part of something we have to understand is that they were oppressing because they were oppressed mm-hmm. and they ran if but that the isn't the story is, of humanity, whew. hello, right? But then they ran, they ran to America and they did two things. They did two things. They went up into the hills of Appalachia and they, you know, separated themselves from everybody 
or they went down into the deep South and they became the primary plantation mm-hmm. owners. Yeah. So, so they, their own they, oligarchy, they'd learned from the English. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So it's yep. not inherent. Here's the thing. It's not inherent to white people that you oppress. It's mm-hmm. just, there's a, a repetition of this story through the generations because the story has never been faced yep. and never been fully repented of. And I think once it's faced and repented of, then we have a chance at that beloved community. And I think, I love this part. You you know, you walk through this kind of three steps. You talk about the reckoning and the truth telling. Mm-hmm. You talk about the repentance and the reparation. And you spend a lot of time in South Africa and you talk about yeah. the process there, which is a process I'm endlessly fascinated with. It's particularly, I think, relevant right now. And I think everyone is sort of revisiting and thinking about it with the the death of Desmond Tutu, who was really just the moral center. I read a really great book called Country of My Skull about this process. And like, just how I did not, I understood Desmond Tutu and why he was important, but like, just how he like held the center of that whole process in such a profound, like moral and ethical way. And it wasn't, again, the truth of that process is that it was also not perfect. Oh, God, no. No, no it wasn't. Or complete. Or it's they not like never, South Africa is some paradise of reparations, right? right? Or equality. They didn't. They actually, they had three major points, three major goals of the Truth and Racial, Truth and Reconciliation Commission. The first was that there be determined who did what, right? So the truth needs to be told. Mm-hmm. Then to determine who would get amnesty, in other words, the forgiveness part, and then who, how would we repair, give mm-hmm. reparation for what was taken? They did the first two, but they never did the last mm-hmm. one. They never did reparation. Um, and so because they never did reparation, South Africa today is just as economically divided as it was then. It's now just de facto segregation mm-hmm. um, as opposed to de jour, which is what which we, we are familiar with very here much, in the United right? States as well. Right. So when we look at, when I look at South Africa's story, one of the things that's most important to understand there is that they went through a major truth-telling initiative that where they got the actual truth of what happened. They really did. And that allowed for some healing to happen. But they also, they also included the question of amnesty. And that is specifically, I think, guided by their faith. So as people of faith, as Black people, people of African descent of faith, one of the things that blew my mind when I really thought about it is that forgiveness is something that is offered in South Africa, not because just because we're Christian and we have to, but mm-hmm. for the sake, and, and Archbishop Des, um, Desmond Tutu says it explicitly in his book, No Future Without Forgiveness. There are things that can never be repaired. There are things that are simply gone. There are things that cannot be restored. And for those things, for the sake of the oppressed, we must release the oppressor from their debt to us Mm. because it will not ever come. So if we spend our whole lives demanding that which cannot be restored, Mm. then we are the ones who rot inside and who, who die without our needs being met. But if there is a God, and there is, If there is a just God, if there is a God who owns cattle on a thousand hills, then we can release the ones who took so much from us 
that which they cannot repay. Right. And we then can turn to God and say, okay, God, now it's time for you to ante up. Mm. And I need, I need it to be very clear. I am not saying that we should not have reparations. I spent a whole chapter on the need for it and on how it should happen. But what I am saying is that there are still things, even after reparation, after, after the process of repair, people who died, who will not be able to be brought back to mm-hmm. life, land that was lost in communities that were broken up, that will never come back together again, for which we must, we must release, mm. release our oppressor from that debt that they owe us because it cannot be repaid. It can only be redeemed by God. Yeah. I thought that part was so powerful. You know, as we're, we were recording this on January 5th. So as I was like preparing for this interview and finishing your book, I was also preparing for January 6th. Yeah. And you do this really beautiful job of specifically talking about like we have criminal culpability, but then we also have political guilt. Yes, that's right. Like the, laying out these different levels of guilt. I thought that was so yeah. powerful. Political oh, guilt, moral you. guilt, metaphysical guilt, just from like being present. Yeah. And I thought with the political guilt in particular, I think you do a good job of like, we have, and I think that's what we're in the process of doing with January 6th. We have to delineate the two. Yeah. We have to talk about the criminal guilt, people who actually struck an officer. Mm-hmm. And also those same people also hold political guilt, participate in this political Mm-hmm. environment that got us all here. Mm-hmm. And what do we do with that? Because there is no retributive punishment that's going to fix that. Like that's just not available yeah, to us. No, yeah. So we have to look somewhere else mm-hmm. for that. And not only that, but do we want, do we want right. to, to perpetuate a retributive, a, a, retru- a society built on retribution and mm-hmm. domination and violence? No, we can't get to the beloved community through violence. Right. So how do we then have a restorative justice community? How do we, how do we embark on the, the project of transformative, transformational justice that transforms our relationships and transforms our systems and structures? And I think you do a beautiful job of not just answering that, but showing us, right, that mm. this process that feels so individual of providing context to your own family's history is mm-hmm. not anything but when we when we move forward with truth telling in our own individual families mm-hmm. that impacts everyone everybody everyone yes that matters yes because the story is both individual and collective yes and you cannot affect one without the other and that truth telling as it informs that that redemption of the beloved community is is essential it's essential i think what you've shown here is essential wow thank you so much that's i appreciate that and i feel like in the conversations that i've been having in recent days about fortune from people who have been reading it i feel like you know my hunches are being um, confirmed. People are saying, yes, this is real. And we need to take it. We need to really stand back and, and take a look at this. And I do think, I think that as, um, as we begin to understand the impact of policies and structures on the course of 
individual families' lives, as well as on the course of millions of our lives and fortunes, then we will have the opportunity then to do some real deep interrogation of the assumptions about how we should be living together. You know, we have lived for 500 years now, more than 500 years on land that had at its base, at its foundations, the legal foundations of this land, the assumption of rulership of people of European descent. But we're coming into a time where people of European descent are going to be in the minority of people who are in America. Already in our kindergartens and nurseries, that is the case. They're Mm -hmm. already in the minority. And give it time and you're going to have the, the assumption won't be there that people of European descent will be the ones leading. Well, okay. So if that's coming, then it's really truly necessary then for people of European descent to face, to face the assumptions of privilege, the assumptions of uh, status, the assumptions of nobility, the assumptions of goodness, the assumptions of truth-telling, the assumptions of might, the assumptions of divine right that have established the supremacy of whiteness on an American soil. Because it's not until you do that, really, that you'll be able to let go of that construct called whiteness and join hands with the rest of the human family that is down here holding hands, having a party and struggling together. But you won't have to be the one we struggle against. You could struggle with us because you understand that you have a story too. Mm-hmm. You have a people too. You have a people group and a culture. You are not white, German American, Irish American, Dutch American. You are Swedish American. You are Lithuanian. You are Jewish American. You are all Italian American. You are British American. And then you can join hands and become human again not needing to control everyone and everything. Well, and I think that that's what's so hard is people feel like they're having something taken from them. Mm. And it's so hard to articulate. No, you're being invited to something. Yes. You're being invited to something. Yes. It it. is not lesson American to show all these beautiful things that are before the hyphen. Like it doesn't take anything from that. It's more beautiful. That it's is a, that's essential American. That's yes. what it means to be American. That hyphen. That yes. is that hyphen is American because it's connective. How yes. beautiful that yes. it puts those two pieces together, and not just those two contained in your identity, yes. but the universe of identity present in this country. Yeah. That yeah. almost and every other place on the globe is joined in that beautiful little hyphen to America. That's and right. I just like. I look back and I think you write really well about not just the election of President Obama, but the election of Trump. But I think particularly with President Obama, like, because who was better at articulating that than him? Yeah, Like he was, and that's why he was so inspiring and also so threatening. Yeah. Because if people bought his vision, what was left of the old vision that's so motivating, that's so fear and like, right, like that. And so you see that battle, I think, between those that only something's being taken from you mm-hmm. versus no, you're being invited to something. You're being That's been invited. here the whole time. It's been yes. here the whole time. Yes. You're being invited to be simply human and yet to be fully human, mm-hmm. right? You're being invited 
into the, the family, the human family and the community of humans trying to figure out how to live together. But as a simply a human being, you are invited into deeper ties, listening, negotiation, conversation, understanding, so that when we legislate towards that, that, that shared future of flourishing, we are making sure that we all flourish, not just some, not just the noble class that became the white, the white folks in America. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today. 
with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. When you allow that complexity, when you allow the real truth of the story, mm-hmm. you allow the reality that both the oppressor and the oppressed have been an essential part of every good thing that has happened in America. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is like you articulate that so well with your family stories. I think about, you know, it's not just you take this mantle of the reality of slavery or the reality of America's history and it's all bad. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that. It, what I mean is like it all it's all a part. It's all a piece that black people were brought to the shore in just inhumane, despicable ways mm-hmm. and that their contribution from the second their feet hit the soil is indisputable, indisputable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just there. They were never just one thing while they were present here, right? It's really true. I mean, I think that's you say it's actually a profound thought that you're bringing out. I'm intrigued that you found this in the book, right? Because I think it is there, but it's not something that's teased out so well. But I think that there's a there's something that Ruby Sales when she read the book when Ruby Sales read the book for her endorsement, she really took it seriously. And one of the things that she said was that. It's a, it's a normal story. It's a normal story to read about an African-American family that had enslaved people and to, and to just focus on the subjugation. But something that is brought out in your family story, which I didn't even realize until she named it, because I was just writing the story, right? But she named it. She said, what we see in your story is we see the strategies of resilience, the strategies of survival, the strategies of healing, the, the strategies, like the ways that somehow, somehow from fortune forward, our family found ways to make sure that the family was taken care of and the community was taken care of. And we found ways to dance it out when it was too much for us, mm-hmm. you know, like the bomba in, in chapter five in, in the Caribbean. We found ways to push and to join in with the larger community that was pushing when my mom joined the civil rights movement um, and SNCC in the sixties. I am part of that legacy and it makes sense now. Oh my gosh. That's why I'm part of the, the push for the beloved community now in this current generation in this current, why? Because black families were not only subjugated. Exactly. Always mourning. Always. Exactly. No. We, we experienced, we experienced the full weight of the wrath of race. And yet, and yet we came out with the faith that moved the mountain called America Mm -hmm. to let go of slavery through um, abolition and the civil war. That was our faith that did that. We came out having sung our way. We found song to be a a source of power under the weight of that immense oppression. So yes, it is not all doom and gloom. It's also resilience and, and contribution and contributions. Yes. And, and like that. a vision. And 
I think you write about the Whitney Plantation and their like institutions like that and their role in truth telling. Yes. And I think about when you step foot, you notice immediately that they always say enslaved people. Yes. Never, never do they use the word slaves. Slave enslaved right. people, because that's not the entirety of their humanity. That's and I right. think like, again, people of European descent, the, the same is true for oppressors. I think you write really yes. well about Thomas Jefferson. And yeah. like, I remember one time in an interview with the historian, I can never remember her name, who like really broke, like she is credited with the Sally Hemings story. Mm-hmm. And someone and that, asked and her, like, read. how could this be? How could someone who's writing every person is created or every man is created equal be in this situation? And she's like, he was just obsessed with democracy. He was just obsessed with it, mm. single-handedly obsessed with it. Mm. And it's like, mm. again, that's the complexity of humanity. That is what's true of everyone. Like, it's never one thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's never one thing. There's always that complexity, that that connection that we are human and that we are we are never one thing in America because it is such a representation of that complex humanity yeah. is never one thing. And like, release that. Like, there's so much freedom. There's so much beauty when you release that one thread, that one ghost that you have staked everything on and are yeah. invited to this complexity that all of us exist within. The fleshliness of humanity. Yes, yes. We are allowed to be imperfect. Because God doesn't expect us to be perfect. God expects us to love. And love is messy. Mm. Love is human. Oof. Perfection is not human. Perfection is, is God. Love, that's, that, that comes from God. And that's what we're called to do as humans. And it is hard because we're humans, right? So but, messy. But that's, that's Democracy the is the messiest. That's the call. And democracy, when truly worked out as like true democracy, one person, one vote, democracy. That is love in public because that is the mm-hmm. recognition. That's the recognition of the divine image of God and the call of every person who is a citizen in that realm to exercise stewardship of that realm. Mm-hmm. And when we can get to that, that's the beloved community. Yep. I mean, I, I, think, I think that America as a project has roots in absolute evil and has roots in an amazing idea mm-hmm. that came in fallible containers called Always. European men who mm-hmm. were hell bent on maintaining that power for themselves. And what we see over the course of America's history is we see the struggle, the actual struggle between the, the ideal, the idea of democracy and the struggle to maintain supremacy mm-hmm. of white men. That's the struggle. That's the struggle. But I believe that we're coming to a place, a time where it's possible for people of European descent to reclaim their actual identity, not their white identity, but their mm-hmm. actual European rootedness and their American rootedness and their human rootedness mm-hmm. and join in with the rest of the community of creation and the rest of the human family to determine together how we live together in the world. That love in public. I love that so much. And I think that your book is such an act of stewardship, just like you were articulating. Thank you so much for writing it and sharing your family's story and calling us all to this beloved community. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. I know I got a lot out of that discussion. I hope that you did too. Thank you to both Sarah and Lisa for the conversation. 
Thank you for joining us today. On Friday, we'll be back in your ears talking about sports. We're going to talk about the Olympics. We're going to talk about football. Hopefully that will be a timely and interesting discussion. If you want to stay in touch with us on everything we're talking about and all the places that we talk besides your podcast feed, our newsletter is the best way to do that. You can go over to pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Give us your email address. We promise we will only show up in your inbox one day a week, and we work really hard to make sure that when we show up, we have something interesting to share with you. So pantsypoliticsshow.com to sign up for our newsletter. We'll see you here on Friday. Until then, have the best week available to you. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. The Creeps! Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Jared Minson. Emily Neasley. The Cousins! Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Amy Whited. Jeff Davis. Melinda Johnston. Ashley Thompson. Michelle Wood. Joshua Allen. Morgan McHugh. Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.